Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. try to hold myself together and preach. Uh, I might end up on my back again, but we'll see. Um, but he is so beautiful. And I want to talk to you about Jesus today. I want to talk to you about intimacy. I want to talk to you about dependency. And I want to talk to you about eating and drinking the Lord, feasting upon Jesus. You know, for me lately, the last uh, couple months, I've just been like overwhelmed by Jesus, overwhelmed by him. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily have language or words to describe everything that the Lord's been doing in me. But he's been doing something in my heart and really, um, I guess, centering or recalibrating re my focus. And I realized, you know, for me, the last year of 2017 and then leading into the new year, really found myself extremely distracted. Really, really distracted, really... Uh, anxious and worried about many things and uh, just found myself just realizing that I, I kind of had lost sight of Jesus and uh, man the last couple of months I just feel like the Lord's been taking me on this journey of in depths of intimacy that uh, where he's just been really really bringing me back to the plumb line of himself He is everything that we need. He's everything that I need. Amen? Himself. Jesus. That's why we're here. Jesus. He's so worthy. If you turn with me to Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. To the end of Luke chapter 10, verse... 38 through 42. It's talking about the disciples and Jesus. And in, in verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But there's only one thing that's necessary. And Mary has chosen and found the good portion, which will not 
be taken away from her. You might remember a couple years ago I taught out of this passage and uh, when I taught out of this, I've, I've commonly taught uh, looking at the principle of what Mary was doing. You know, Mary was sitting and she was listening. So the one thing that's necessary is to sit and listen. Now there's truth to that, but what I didn't see is that the one thing is Jesus. The one thing that is necessary is him. He is the only thing that's necessary. He is the good portion that's been given to us that can never be taken from us. Everything else in your life can be taken from you. Everything else in your life can be taken from you. But the one thing that cannot be taken from you is Jesus. Jesus. He is the one thing. He is the goal. He is the prize. He is the reward. Mary found the one thing. Mary found Jesus. She found him. He really is all that we need. Do you see that? He is everything. He's everything that we need. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Everything is held together by him. See, Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. He's not a means, you know, you're in, you're in anxiety and he, oh, if me, he's a means to the end of me finding peace. No, he is not a means. He is the end. When you have him, you have everything. See, I can relate to Martha. Going into this new year, I was distracted with my service. I was distracted by many things. See, Martha, she thought that the way to love Jesus was to serve. Mary saw that the way to love Jesus was to sit. See, Martha's service for the Lord distracted her from the Lord. Her service for Jesus literally replaced Jesus. You know, and it's a common thing. As I said, I can relate to Martha. You know, we have this, such this results-driven, busy, performance-driven culture that we live in. Results, results, results. Get busy. Like if busy, you would think that busy was another one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, we live in such a busy results, fast-paced culture. Go, go, do, do. Like 
what is the it's all about the destination it's all about the results you know well how many how many people you know numerically do you have in your church how many people have you seen get saved how many miracles have you seen how many uh, invites for speaking are you getting how many how many how many how many how many results 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 what are you doing for the lord And we get worried and we get troubled and we get distracted and weighed down with all of our service and all of our stuff that we're doing for the Lord. Because we get anxious and we get worried because we're afraid to lose it. But the wild thing is that in trying to contain it, in trying to find it, you will lose it. But if you find him, you will have everything. It's just about Jesus. Jesus. He's so perfect. <laughs> See, even though, you know, in, our, in this culture that we live in, it's such, it's such a driving force of results and activity and busyness and just do things for the Lord. Stay busy. The reality is that the goal is not the results. The goal is not results. The goal is your relationship. God is, isn't as is, is concerned about our, the results as, as we are. He cares about your heart. See, again, in such a driving culture, we have this really skewed idea of what success is that carries over into our Christianity. We have all these ideas of what it means to be a successful Christian. And, you know, I, I want to tell you today that success is not miracles. Success is not itinerant ministry. Success is not how big of a crowd you gather. Success is not... Uh, how much you know, know the how well you know the Bible. The success is not how great your prayer life is. Success is not if you've written a book or if you've released a worship album. You know, has your church released a worship album? Mine has. has have you your pastor written a book? Mine has. It's not about any of that. Success is a, in Christianity is intimacy with Jesus. That's all that it's about. Intimacy with Him. None of that stuff is. It, even even is really on his radar. A guy by the name of Les Dams commonly says this phrase. He, uh, he we grew up our whole life. He, he was a, a spiritual father to my dad, and so I, I knew him my whole life as a little kid. And he prophetically spoken to my life and my other my siblings. And I remember one of the things he would commonly say all the time was. The issue is never the issue, but it's your heart in the situation. That's all that Jesus, that's what this is about. It's about Jesus. Where's your affection? Where's your adoration? Because we can do all the right things for God, but not even have God in it. Is what you're doing for God replacing God? Is there service for Jesus replacing Jesus?
I see this in the Bible. This is actually true. This isn't just me because Jesus told us his definition of success. He said, in the end, 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 the end of the day, or when, when, we, when we stand before the Father in heaven, there will be many that come to him and say, you know, Lord, look at everything that I did. Yeah. Like Martha, look at all the service. Look at the miracles and all the people that I saw get saved and everything that I did for you. And he'll say on that day, depart from me, for I never knew you. Now, this passage doesn't, it doesn't mean and negate the fact that we, the miraculous. Miraculous is inexcusable. Power for the believer is non-negotiable, especially for the world that we live in. But what this does say is that you can actually move in power and do everything that you think is meant to be done for the Lord and still not have your heart open to know him. The goal is to know him. Jesus is the goal. Jesus. In another passage in John 17, it says that this is eternal life, that you would know God. That's why eternal life, or at least an invitation to it, doesn't begin when you die and go to heaven. It begins when you, when you invite Jesus into your heart because he is eternal life. Eternal life isn't a place. Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is to know him. The other day, a couple days ago, I, my, uh, I was sitting on my couch just spending time with the Lord, and uh, it was, I guess, the day after Easter on Monday, and I was just spending time with the Lord, and in comes running my daughter, Madison. She's got this really huge, over-the-top princess dress on, and she's got this Burger King crown on her head. <laughs> and she just comes running in, and I knew she had this kind of look on her face. I, I've, gotten, I've seen, noticed this where she's waiting for me to compliment her, you know? So I just said, oh my gosh, you look beautiful. Man, you look so beautiful, uh, Madison. And then she didn't even really care what I said. She just came running and she jumped into my arms and snuggled up on my lap and put her head on my chest and just started sucking her thumb. But the first thing that she did when she crawled into my lap is removed her crown and cast it aside. That spoke to me. I think it showed me something that the Lord longs for from us. You know, again, his, his definition of success is to know him, intimacy with him. When you're in that place of intimacy, when you're in that place of resting in the embrace of the Father, The only thing that matters is him. The crown of, of all, all our achievements, all our successes, all our financial gain, all of our, all of our trophies or awards or anything completely fades away when we're just sitting face to face with our creator. Intimacy. 
intimacy with Jesus. Not a means, but an end. See, because intimacy isn't a one-time event. Intimacy is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time encounter, but, it, but a lifestyle. Sometimes I feel, sometimes I felt like in my, in my own heart, but even I felt burdened specifically in our, in our uh, movement uh, that we're a part of is sometimes I'm afraid that we've, we've pursued the encounter above intimacy. See, the goal isn't an encounter. The goal is to intimacy with God. You know, like Mary, we don't sit at his feet for success. We sit at his feet for love. Like Mary, we don't spend time with him for ministry. We spend time with him for intimacy. Intimacy, just alone with him. Every heart motivation, every impure motivation, every everything in you that has a need to be seen by others comes into check in the intimate secret place with the Lord. Because when you're sitting there alone and nobody's around, nobody's looking at you, all that stuff really likes to come out. When you're sitting there for no other reason other than to waste time on him. The same spiritual father that, that mentored my dad, Les Dams, he, um, I got the privilege of getting to hang out with him a couple months ago when I was, I was on a trip and went back home uh, to my hometown, hometown, home state, that whole area in Washington. And uh, I really like sought him out. I, I lost his phone number. I found his email through his pastoral, he's on a pastoral staff at a church. So I dug up, found their website, found his email, emailed him. We set up this whole thing. I had to take uh, like a 30-minute ferry ride, get up at 5 in the morning to have breakfast with him because I was hungry to seek him out and to honor him and to, and to honor and value how he uh, poured into my dad because my dad was first-generation believer. And because of his influence, I believe that it set my father up to father us better. So I wanted to honor him. So we, we got together, and I came as a baby. I honestly just came like I was a newborn believer. I'm like, how do you read the Bible? How do you pray? How do you hear God's voice? What is the kingdom about? What does it mean to be a Christian? Like li every little thing, I was just, how do you do this thing? Like, what is Jesus? Who's Jesus? Like, there's everything I could think of pulling on the, the revelation and the wisdom from this man's life. So I now, now I believe he's in his 80s, and uh, we're sitting there, and, and he's one of those guys where every single thing that comes out of his mouth, you should have a journal and pen ready. Like, I mean, just... Oh, you know, I think over 50 years in ministry, uh, just amazing. So I, I'm just sitting there and pulling on every word he's saying. And, and he said this phrase. I don't even remember where it came out. It just suddenly came out of his, out of his mouth, for, almost like no big deal. But to me, it, it pierced my heart. And he said, you know, Micah, the greatest sin in the church, the greatest sin of Christianity is the neglect of the private place of intimacy for the public place of ministry. Just true. 
It's just truth. See, a heart posture of adoration before the Lord is more powerful than a billion activities done for the Lord. I'll say it one more time. A heart postured in adoration to the Lord is more powerful than a billion activities done for the Lord. This is what it's about. Intimacy is about being alone with God. Being in secret. Being in a still and hidden place of privacy. It's not a very, well, I don't know, it's kind of, maybe, I don't feel like it's very popular in our culture, but it really comes down to basically isolation. (laughs) Isolate yourself with Jesus. Cease your striving. Cease your busyness. And isolate and get along with God. There's this guy, Eric Gilmore. Amazing guy. I haven't, I haven't gotten to meet him, but I just love what he teaches. And uh, He says this phrase. I love it. He says, a public touch is an invitation to a private kiss. I know all of us in this room, we've, we've had a public touch at one point or another from the Lord. Now, at one point or another, we, we've had an, a, a public touch, maybe in this in the environment, in the worship environment here, it, through a sermon or through the laying on of hands or ministry or even in a life group. We've had a public touch from the Lord. But I feel like the question that the Lord is asking all of us, me included, is have you allowed the public touch to lead you to a private kiss? Have you allowed that him to lead you to the secret place? During worship, I was laying out on, uh, on, the, on the floor and I, just, I was thinking about the kiss and I, I was thinking about how often I have such joy in holding my kids and embracing my kids, loving my kids. And commonly, I'll, I'll even you know, I'll look at my son or my daughter and I'll be like, hey, can I have a kiss? Can daddy have a kiss? And I'll give him a kiss. That's the same way that he is to us. He just wants a kiss. He wants an embrace. He doesn't really measure your success by your results or what you do for him. But by, by, by your willingness to sit with him. Every encounter is meant to drive us to intimacy. The Bible it says to be still and know that I am God. So how do you know God? Be still. You have to stop the busyness and all the running around, and you have to sit still to know him. The place where we see God and where we know God is the place of being alone. 
there is, you know, there, I, I hope you hear me that there's, there's a place for public, when two or three are gathered, there he is in your, in your midst. So I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's either or. I'm, today, I'm, I'm talking about and emphasizing where is your affection personally? Where's your heart personally before the Lord? I think about different people in the Bible that were alone. Not necessarily even alone with God. They just somehow happened to be alone and they met God. I think about Samuel in the Old Testament where Samuel, it says that he was left alone in the meeting place where the ark dwelled. It said that his, his mentor Eli went off to his own place and went asleep in his bed but Samuel laid at the foot of the ark alone, craving the presence of Jesus. And in that place of being alone, he heard his name. The Lord called his name. And then finally, after many times of him calling his name, and when he finally saw that it was the Lord, and he responded, he said, here I am, Lord. It says that the Lord stood before him, literally physically stood before him. And it says that then God was with Samuel and he became established as a prophet to the nations. If you back it up in the beginning before Samuel was alone in the secret place, it says that he set himself to ministry to the Lord. But then in getting alone, it starts out he's ministry to the Lord. He gets alone. He sees God, and he comes out with God with him. Yeah. Starts ministry to the Lord, comes out in intimate partnership with the Lord. Another example I think about is John the Beloved. In Revelation, it literally says that he was alone on the island of Patmos. He's left alone. He's exiled to the island of Patmos. And suddenly he says that he was caught up in the spirit and he heard and he saw Jesus. It started with him being alone. The last one that I think about is in Genesis 32. And it's the story of Jacob. Genesis 32, verses, verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone. His brother Eli was coming. Or, I'm sorry, uh, not Eli, but his brother's coming. And he sends everybody away. He sends his children away. He sends his wife away. He sends everybody away. And he's left alone. And in this place of being left alone, it says that a man came, a man appeared, the Lord appeared, and he, they wrestled until daybreak. And in wrestling, it says that the Lord touched him. And when he touched him, he blessed him and gave him a new name. And then, lastly, from that day on, Jacob walked with a cane and with a limp for the rest of his life. 
И вот это говорит мне, Jacob was alone, and in being alone, he met God. And in that place of alone, that secret place of intimacy, it says that he wrestled with God. There is no other place that you can wrestle your stuff out than in the secret place. The secret place and the place where you're alone with God is the place where all the things in you and all the junk in you gets wrestled out. And as he's and as wrestling with God, it says that God, he was touched by God. And yes, he received a new identity, but the last thing is that he spent the rest of his days leaning upon a staff because he limped. What this speaks to me and shows me is that intimacy with God produces dependency. Intimacy and encounter with God or intimacy with God doesn't produce, just give you power or some new tool or ability to then go run out on your own, full steam ahead, to do the task that he's assigned you. It actually creates an extreme dependency and need. Proverbs 3 talks about this. It says, trust in the Lord. With all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, not some of your ways, in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. What this shows me is that I've commonly had a question of what is the fear of the Lord? Because to me, like, I know some guys, they preach the fear of the Lord and it's like really like, you know, tread lightly. He could zap you. Like, no, my, my father is good. So that's not the fear of the Lord. He's a good father. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to walk in intimate dependency with him. It's to acknowledge him in all your ways. Any area of my life where I am not acknowledging and trusting in him, I am walking outside of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to know him. to know him did you know that the word for spirit in the old testament in, in the hebrew is the same word for breath they're interchangeable what this shows me as well is that in the same way that we cannot live without breath in our lungs we cannot live without his presence We need his presence just in the same way that we need breath to live and to breathe. We need air. He is our air. Jesus is our air. He is the breath of life. He himself. The life from heaven, the breath from heaven is Jesus. Revival is a person. It's Jesus. We aren't waiting for some mysterious cloud of presence or glory to come out of the cloud or come out of the sky and fall on us he is the presence the presence has become this cultural word that we throw out all the time in the church but the presence is a person whenever we say presence we're saying jesus jesus 
John 15, it talks about how Jesus said to abide in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. The complete place of dependence. Dependency upon him. Leaning upon him like that, like Jacob's staff. Where you cannot walk without him. You cannot move without him. This is what the Lord delights in. Growing up, my father used to, my dad used to always say to me, and a lot of times I didn't quite get it, or maybe I didn't like it because I, I, like, I, I like to, you know, be my own person, be my own man, you know, do my own thing. And the Lord was like, or he would, he would always say that the Lord said this to him. He says, the Lord delights in your dependency. The Lord delights in your helplessness. And I was like, what? Aren't we like overcomers? Aren't we like... We aren't helpless anymore. Like, we're like, you know, we're overcomers. We're like, you know, what is this helpless word or this needy word? Like, the Lord doesn't, I, I don't need to be needy. No, that's exactly what the Lord wants. Your neediness and your dependency upon him. Where literally, unless he is with you, you cannot go. My kids really model me to me and show me dependency. Because, you know, getting around my kids, my kids, being around my kids, they are literally 100% hopeless and helpless without mine and my wife's intervention. They literally need us for food. They need us for clothing. They need us for bath time, literally to be bathed and clean. They need us for transportation. And then when they get hurt, the first person that they call for is mommy and daddy. They literally would not be alive or be able to live without our constant daily intervention. They show us something. Children, show us something of the kingdom. When Jesus said to become like a child, what he was meaning is be completely dependent and needy. Be so helpless and hopeless without me. Because we've gotten really good. We've gotten, we've gotten really successful and good at working without him. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Leonard Ravenhill. He said, I remember one of the, old, it might have been A.W. Tozer. They said this, this phrase. is like, if the Holy Spirit left the church today, the church would keep going. The services would just keep happening. Just every, if, the, if the Holy Spirit's presence literally was removed from what we were doing, we could, 90-something percent of what we're doing would keep happening. <laughs> it's just true. We, ha- I have, we need to reach this place of complete and utter dependency and neediness for Him. Look, I know how to do a lot of things. You know, maybe as Christian, you know, I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I know how to do this thing. Become like a child. Become like a little child again. Our culture frowns on on dependency. We're such an independent culture. It frowns on a grown adult being needy and helpless. But that's the heart posture that you're meant to have before the Lord. Like a child in the arms of a parent. You know, Jesus, 
He is our life. He is our food and our water. He is our bread and our wine. He literally is our nourishment and our sustenance. We cannot be sustained apart from him. In John 4, he made this statement. He said, if whoever comes to me will receive water that will basically never run dry. It will be a water that will always be available to satisfy. In John 6, he said that he is the bread of life that came down from heaven. He is the bread of life. And he said, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no life in you. It's just true. We're called to eat and drink. We're called to feast upon him. Most of us, we've been walking around malnourished. We've been walking around starved. We've been walking around poor and weak and, and hungry. All the while, there's, there's a feast set before us. His name's Jesus. Jesus never intended for us to live this life apart from eating and drinking. He doesn't demand that of you. He never demanded for you to serve up something that you're not eating yourself. He doesn't demand you to, to serve and to do all this stuff for him. He just The only invitation he gives is the one he gave to the disciples at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, he broke bread and he said, take and eat. And he had wine and he said, take and drink. This is the, the only, this is the command that he asked of you. Take and eat. Take and drink. Feast on me. Find your satisfaction and your nourishment in me. Not in what you do for me, but in me. And the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we see the Lord? We taste him. We have to taste him. Our eyes will be open to see when we eat him. When he said he's the bread of life, what that means is that I cannot live without food and water in the natural. In the same way, I cannot live the Christian life without him. He is the Christian life. Song of Solomon 2.3 says that the bride says this amazing thing to the bridegroom. She says, I love to sit in your shadow, feasting and tasting your fruit. Like Mary. Like Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus and tasting and eating and partaking of him is the bread of life. Again, we have such a results and busy culture, results-driven, performance-driven, success-driven, busy culture that, you know, we have places, we have fast food, right? We're so busy. We have fast food. We have, we, a lot of times we eat on the go. We uh, eat while we're driving to our next appointment. You know, we throw, we, we're chowing down the food as we're driving. And 
in many ways, the same thing that happens culturally, we've taken that into our spirituality, into our Christianity. You know, we, we expect to be nourished in a fast food, on-the-go way. You know, fast food, I just got to get to my, my other thing. I got to be busy. I got to be serving the Lord. But like Martha, see, Martha was more concerned about serving food than she was about eating food. But we're just called to eat. The other day, I'm, gonna, I'm closing here. The other day, uh, my son, Simeon, came up to... Uh, came up to the kitchen, and Meredith and I were in the kitchen, and he comes running in, and somehow we had a bowl of cantaloupe sitting out, and before we could see him, he literally, he just quickly, he snatched this cantaloupe, shoved it in his mouth, and took off running. He just uh, took off running, and of course, he's running, and what happens is he falls, and he bites his cheek, and it, it wasn't, you know, that terrible or anything, but he's crying, my cheek, my cheek, and he it comes running. Who does he run to? Because he's dependent. He runs to mommy and daddy. And when he runs up to, to mommy and daddy, Mer Meredith says this phrase, and this leapt out to me. She said, buddy, you need to sit and be still when you eat. We're in such a rush and such a hurry that we try to eat him on the go. But that's not even good nutritionally. That'll give you indigestion if you're eating while you're running or you're eating while you're jumping around you got to sit and be still to eat so forever whenever we gather around the table for breakfast lunch or dinner we're forever given a picture of what it looks like to walk in intimacy with jesus you have to sit and you have to be still to eat him please everybody stand with me Jesus is the one thing. There's nothing else to move on to. He is the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. When your prayer life stops being all the things that you want from God and starts becoming Jesus, something will happen. Make your prayer life Jesus. Make Jesus your prayer life. And something will change in your life. He is your prayer life. Literally, we don't need to pray for peace or for this or for that. Jesus. It's about Jesus. Make Jesus your prayer life. He is the bread of life. He is our nourishment. Intimacy with Him and dependency upon Him is the end goal. The daily journey with Him. Everybody just, can you close your eyes and just lift your hands? One act of a heart postured in adoration is more powerful than a billion activities done for the Lord. It's about his, about your adoration. 
Proverbs says, guard the, heart, the affections of your heart, for from it, them flow all of life. There's an invitation. Jesus is saying, where is your affection? I just want your affection. I just want your adoration. I just want you to be satisfied in me and only me. Not the next meeting, not the next book, not the next YouTube video, just purely me, satisfied in only me.